0: This is uh, podcast 46, The Quest, Claiming the Marks of Christ. I am continuing in this session to explore faith as the stigmata of Christ, as an essential mark borne by those claiming to be disciples of Jesus. Jesus was himself a person of faith, that is, one who not only believed in the reality of God, but who entrusted his very life into the hands of God, as as one might trust a loving father or a loving mother. Immediately after consecrating his life to God in baptism in the River Jordan, Jesus has a vision. The heavens appear to open. The Holy Spirit descends like a dove and lights on his shoulder. And in a deep rumbling, Jesus hears, You are my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. Jesus has consecrated himself to the purpose, to the work and goal of God for the good of all humanity. And Jesus has committed himself to God's method and means for doing that work, consecrated himself to both the work and the way the work was to be done. But immediately after his baptism, Jesus goes out into the desert where at the end of 40 days, tired, hungry, physically weakened, he hears a different voice. He hears a seductive voice tempting him to do things his way, tempting him to find an easier, softer, more self-centered way. If you are the Son of God, says the the seductive deceiver, then turn these stones to bread. Worship me. Prove you are invincible. Give, Give your heart and soul to me, and I will make you powerful. It is not that the devil is calling into question whether Jesus really is the Son of God, but rather questioning what that means, what it what it means in terms of the goal the purpose of jesus's life it's really a question we all face the question for jesus in which the voice will the, the question for jesus is which voice will he trust what voice will any of us listen to what voice will any of us trust We all possess a certain amount of faith or confidence in the trustworthiness of things. For example, although they know the the ocean can be dangerous, surfers have enough trust in the natural laws that govern it that they go out surfing. In fact, without a fundamental level of trust, none of us could get through a normal day. There are... In fact, people so fearful that they cannot function well enough to make it through what most of us regard as just a typical day. There are, of course, many things from both without and from within us that it would be foolhardy to trust. Having faith is, of course, not the same thing as being gullible or naive. Jesus said, be as wise as a serpent and as harmless as a dove that's matthew 10:16 if you want a reference now let me stop right there do you believe that do you believe that we should be harmless as doves and as wise as snakes eric trump said to a group of christians that jesus's teachings have forgot have gotten us Nowhere. We have turned the other cheek, he said, and it hasn't worked. I hope you see the problem, see the real issue. Eric was saying Jesus cannot be trusted. Eric was, of course, in one sense, correct. If your aim is to grab what you want from this world, to grab all you can get for yourself from this world, well, you might as well forget Jesus right now. And I'm serious in saying that. Living well, living the sane life, the spiritual life, the poetic life, requires a basic stance of trust, a faithful march through what can be long seasons of inconvenience and even heartache. Yet there are many things inside and outside of ourselves that are not to be trusted, Growth in trust, growth in faith will therefore always simultaneously be growth in wisdom. The fool and the sage do not trust the same things. The fundamental question for each of us then is what do we trust? The German theologian Paul Tillich wrote a little book that was famous when I was a college student, The Dynamics of Faith. In it, he identifies faith as ultimate concern. That sounds a little cold and abstract and academic to me, but nevertheless, Tillich was making a valid point. His argument was that whatever concerns me ultimately is my faith. I am uh, trusting it to bring me ultimate fulfillment. My ultimate concern may be money or status or power. It may be some sort of success or achievement. It could be some sort of an image I want to have in my own eyes uh, or in the eyes of others, of myself. It can be another person or a narcotic substance. If my faith is in anything or in anyone who is not truly ultimate, then obviously it is an idolatrous faith and will never bring genuine peace, contentment, or satisfaction. What is finite cannot satisfy an infinite longing. But the longing for God, who alone is ultimate, is itself, as C.S. Lewis noted, more satisfying than any earthly satisfaction that can be named. What an amazing observation! A desire which is itself more satisfying than any earthly satisfaction that can be named while there are many things that come to us from without as well as from within um, that we cannot trust, that is, we, can al- we, we cannot always trust the situation. We cannot always trust the people around us, the of, or, of uh, nature or of life, but we can trust God and the Spirit's work in us. I've already noted that faith is much more than mental assent, much more than simply agreeing that something is factually or objectively true, like E equals MC squared, or 2 plus 2 equals 4. Faith, as noted earlier, is thought of as that which is beyond belief, beyond the intellect. Specifically, one way in which faith transcends Intellectual belief is found in its quality as a response. Faith, and and this is of crucial importance faith is a response to all that God is, all that God has communicated, and all that God has done in human history and in our own lives. All that God has done from that very first explosion explosion—explosion of light at the creation of the universe to this very moment. Look at Romans 1, 20 through 21. For since the creation of the world is invisible, uh, uh, for since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, excuse me, For since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly seen, being understood from what has been made so that people are without excuse. For although they knew God, they neither glorified God as God nor gave thanks to God, but their thinking became futile and their foolish hearts were darkened. It is possible, St. Paul argues here, to recognize the reality of God in the beauty, in the wonder and mystery of the material, visible world. Such recognition, he says, ought to elicit response of enlightened belief, praise, and gratitude. Read this text again in contemporary language and with a couple of additional verses. But the basic reality of God is plain enough. Open your eyes, and there it is. By taking a long and thoughtful look at what God has created, people have always been able to see what their eyes, as such, can't see. Eternal power, for instance, and the mystery of divine being. So nobody has a good excuse what happened was this. People knew God perfectly well, but when they didn't treat God like God, refusing to worship God, they trivialized themselves into silliness and confusion so that there was neither sense nor direction left in their lives. So in contemplating the nature of God, it is helpful to um, uh, to identify how and where in the words of the Apostle You have tasted the goodness of God. Here is a maxim, uh, never to be forgotten. Augmentum in gratia est incrementum fede. Growth in gratitude is growth in faith. Research shows that our capacity for gratitude increases. As we practice it. Since faith is trust, it is also a spiritual letting go, a relinquishing of control, a spiritual surrender. Although in postmodern America, the latter term has fallen into disrepute, but, but it has traditionally been a necessary word for mystics of every kind and contributes much to our understanding of what faith means as a spiritual reality. Alcoholics Anonymous has been enormously helpful in drawing out and highlighting the real life workings of spiritual principles like grace, faith, and surrender. Step one, as you may know, is an admission, a confession, if you will, of powerlessness. Step two, which states, came to believe that a power greater than ourselves could restore us to sanity, is faith as a response of surrender, trust, openness to something or someone greater than ourselves. It is a deep and profound yes to God. Read the story of the fall in Genesis 3 carefully. What you will find is that Adam and Eve, instead of living by faith, instead of trusting God, that they had everything they truly needed, decided they wanted to be sufficient within and of themselves to create their own security, to be, as the poem Invictus put it, the master of their fate and the captain of their soul. I like what Henry J. M. Noone wrote along these lines. He said, Jesus sees the evil in this world as a lack of trust in God's love. He makes us see that we persistently fall back on ourselves, rely more on ourselves than on God, and are inclined more to love of self than love of God. So we remain in darkness. If we walk in the light, then we are enabled to acknowledge that everything good, beautiful, and true comes from God and is offered to us in love. Repeatedly, Scripture describes this acknowledgment of a power greater than ourselves, this attitude of willingness, this ultimate concern, this life of trust or faith, in the most radical terms. Just read the story of the rich man in Matthew 19, or of Nicodemus, who um, is told he will have to relinquish everything he has and everything he is by virtue of his birth and will need to undergo a new spiritual birth to enter the kingdom of heaven. The way of deep faith is not easy. The cost of discipleship to appropriate the title of Bonhoeffer's famous book is high, extremely high. Then Jesus said, to his disciples whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me for whoever wants to save their life will lose it but whoever loses their life from me will find it what good will it be for someone to gain the whole world and yet forfeit their soul or what can anyone give in exchange for their soul again that's Matthew 16 24 through 26 No wonder Jesus encouraged people to count the cost before following him. The 16th century Mennonites used a word for all of this that is virtually untranslatable into English, galasenheit. It means something like an experience of surrender accompanied by a profound sense of peace. With everything that has been said in these two podcasts on faith in mind, I'll conclude by making several very quick observations. One, faith, although not commonly thought of in this way, is a mystical force, a power, an energy. Two, pisti, the word for belief or faith, is uh, trust, but it is also mental agreement there are most certainly things Christians believe. It would otherwise make no sense whatsoever. So Hebrews 11.6 says, The person who approaches God must have faith in two things. First, that God exists. And secondly, that one who seeks God will find God, live in the power, peace, and presence of God. Three, our human tendency is to um, resist faith as trust, as surrender, especially uh, at the deeper levels. James four, one through three is a wonderful and difficult wisdom text on asking for the knowledge of God's will and the strength to do it. Where do you think all these terrible wars come from? When you do ask, why you don't you don't receive? Because you ask with self centered motives. You just you don't just ask for God's help, you prescribe the way God should help. For we cannot make Galassenheit happen, but the practices of the traditional spiritual disciplines like prayer, scripture reading, contemplation, singing spiritual songs, worship and consistently practicing gratitude, moral integrity, justice, and kindness enable us to loosen our grip so as to be more open to the experience of surrender in the greater depths of our being. Five, it should be noted that faith as surrender, faith as gelassenheit and resignation are not at all the same thing. With a genuine genuine response of faith as surrender, there is a sense of peace that is not there with mere resignation, which may in fact carry feelings of resentment with it rather than indicating a true letting go or relinquishing resignation is more of an attitude that says, I'm in a a tight spot here, and so I have to do it this way for now, but sooner or later I will be in a position to do it my own way again. Six, faith is uh, the sort of trust resulting in a surrendered way of life. It is a continuous practice. We may be able to point to a time, or more likely times, in which there has been a heightened sense of gloss and height. But it is not a once and for all event. No matter how deep and how real our surrender, sooner or later, implacably self-will rears its monstrous head. A sense of a surrendered life, then, must be continually nurtured. Seven, faith must, um, as trust, uh, belief, surrender, may not change anything, and we need to be aware of this. It may not change anything about our external circumstances. Frequently and often, only at the end of much struggle, the answer faith provides is a change in our own heart and in our own mind. Eight, faith is not manipulative magic. Among the books the great pastoral theologian Wayne Oates wrote was one with the title When Religion Gets Sick. What I remember most about it after all these years is Oates' assertion that religion becomes pathological when it is turned into the practice of magic, when faith becomes magical thinking. Um, A magical thinking and practice, he said, occurs when we when we believe that by saying certain things or doing certain things in a particular way, we cannot cause, uh, uh, we, we can cause or motivate unseen forces to use their powers to keep us safe or to work for our own personal good, for to fulfill our own agenda like uh, Aladdin's genie. It is a sort of reasoning, That we, uh, that a parent who believes that a catastrophically ill child will be cured if they pray intensely enough, uh, without any doubt whatsoever, in the end, this becomes just another attempt to be in control, in control of life, of reality, of people, of events, of, of God. And so I conclude this podcast by simply observing that the stigmata of faith signifies many mysteries which are truly understood only in the deepest places of the heart, where it is known as belief, trust, surrender, where it is experienced as a spiritual force as responsiveness to the loving kindness of God and as a special kind of knowledge and spiritual wisdom. In the next session, I will look at transformation as a stigmata of Christ.